0: Well hello, Pastor Matt here, just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Let's please stand and let's read the Word of God together. 1 John chapter 4 verses 13 through 16. This is the Word of God. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. Let's pray. Lord as we come before you with our Bibles open we ask for your blessing over this time together I ask that you would empower me Lord to to preach your word accurately to get out of out of the way here Lord and not to share a bunch of my thoughts and my opinions but that your word would go forth and find fertile soil in the grounds of all of our hearts that it would bear much fruit in all of our lives for your glory we pray this in your holy name, Amen. You be seated. There's a um, younger theologian named Owen Strayan. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet him at a conference recently here in Lubbock. We got to sit and talk. Um, me and several other men who were there and talk to him about his stand that he's been taking lately. For those of you who are completely unaware, there is a major war going on against the truth in our world today, specifically in America. and It's taking on various forms, whether it be the truth about men and women, the truth about sexuality, the truth about this, that, and the other, the truth about salvation. There is a war against truth today. And Owen Strayan is a, I think he's about my age, and he is taking a major stand um, in regards to what the Bible says around um, gender and all of the roles that come along with that. Well, he recently had a conversation slash debate with this person who identifies himself as A progressive Christian pastor. Mind you, he calls himself a pastor. Him and his wife planted a church, he says, and a church that they both co pastor. He is far from what the Word says about basically anything. Through their conversation, they're debating what the Bible says in regards to gender roles. And this man, at every turn and every glance and every opportunity, his main argument against Owen is But how can you know? But how can you know that there is a God out there somewhere who has written down things that he prescribes uh, for th- his creation? How can you know that there are some sort of divine documents in the file cabinets of heaven? through which God, this God being, rifles through and pulls out the right file and says, here's what I command out of creation in regard to this specific part of life. How can you know? And I, I listened to this man. He sounded very intelligent, as people often do. He sounded very intelligent, and if... God had not filled me with the truth. I might be prone to wonder the same things that he did. But you start to wonder, if you can't know anything about Scripture, if if you're constantly asking, how can I know? How can you know? My friends, how can you then know that you're saved? How can you know that you'll see the Lord when you die? How can you know then how I am to live this life? How can I know? That's a great question, sir. How do we know? And one thing that I love about the way that John is writing is that he uses this word over and over and over. By this we know. We can know that we can know that we can know that we can know. We can be absolutely convinced of the truth that we find in this Bible. Most importantly, we can be convinced of God's love towards us. My friends, where would we be if not for God's love? Where would we be if all that we had was justice and wrath from God? We would stand no chance, would we? None of us would stand a chance. If we had to earn our way back into the good graces of God Almighty, a holy and perfect God, are you kidding me? We would stand no chance. But thankfully, God is love. and He does have a specific, salvific, which means a saving kind of love for His children. And this is what John is aiming that we would know in our passage this morning. And that a, in a bigger way, throughout writing this letter, one of the great things about false teaching that it does, the great horrible things, is that it causes you to question everything. It causes you to be filled with doubt. Well, doubt your doubts. How about you doubt your questions? And look at the Word of God. And be convinced of the truth as written and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I hope that that we can walk away this morning being absolutely convinced, as John says, of the love that God has for us. As we spend our time together, we have three things that we're going to look at. Three grounds of assurance. If you have a bulletin... You already see that that's what we're doing this morning. Three grounds of assurance. I want to say before we do number one, you know, Christianity is the only faith, it's the only religion in which we can have an assurance of salvation. We can know that we will go to heaven when we die, and it's not arrogant. It's not prideful of us to think that way and to believe those things. Why? Because it's just having faith in God. We can have assurance and we can know these things because we can just believe that God is going to do what He says He's going to do and that He has done what He said He is going to do. Augustine said it best. To be assured of our salvation is no arrogant stoutness. It is faith, it is devotion, it is not presumption, it is God's promise. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ, and that is irrevocable. So we're going to look at three grounds of assurance. First in verse 13, God's spirit given to us. This is the ground floor, if you will, of assurance because this is salvation in itself. This is regeneration. is the giving of the Spirit to a person who is dead in their sin. This is salvation. It's not merely raising your hand to say, I want to go to heaven when I die. That's not salvation. What is it though? Verse 13, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. Because we went to youth camp one time, and we said, I want to go to heaven. Does anybody's translation say that? Thank God, you would need a new Bible. By this, we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because we've been going to church for a long time. Anyone's translation say that? By this, we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because... We don't cuss anymore. We tithe all the time. And we're on every committee at the Baptist Church. Does anybody's Bible say that one? What does it say? Because He has given us of His Spirit. I want you to notice something that you might not readily see in English. But all of these verbs are passive. What does that mean? It means that it's happening to you. It's not something that you are doing. It's not something that you have done even. Rather, it is something that God is doing and even more importantly, something that God has done. Do you see that? That He has given. Not that you went and got. Not that you said I wanted it really bad. None of those things but that God has given us of His Spirit. Isn't that incredible? He has given us of His Spirit, His Holy Spirit. How do you know that you're a Christian? Some people will answer with everything that they've done for God or done for the local church. Well, I I do this, I do that, I serve here, I serve there. I lead Vacation Bible School and I do that. That's how I know I'm a Christian. Do you know that that is a concept that is absolutely foreign to Scripture? What does Scripture say? Is that we know that we abide in Him because He has given us His Spirit. What does that mean? Is that I do not abide in Him if He has not given me His Spirit. If all I have to rely on are my measly confessions, I have nothing to hold on to. How many of you in here? It's a new year. How many of you in here were looking back at the end of 2020 and saying, wow, I didn't hold on to any of my resolutions? Anyone? Has that happened to anyone before? Have you ever done that before? Nobody, wow. Well, this is a common thing, if you didn't know. We commonly break our resolutions. We very commonly say, this year, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. And then at the end of 2020, I gained 20. So in 2021, I'm going to lose 40 pounds, even though I couldn't lose the 20. I'm going to lose even more than that. I'm speaking from experience here, folks. I'm just going to be honest with you here. It happens to us all the time. Anybody in here use their snooze button? Show of hands. The alarm goes off. Snooze. Do you see how weak-willed we are? I'm not here to blast you individually, but all of us. And just to point out a very common truth, that you and I have a hard time sticking to the things that we say we're going to do, don't we? Now imagine, your salvation depends entirely on something that you said you're going to do. What chance do you stand? I said that I'm going to give my life to Jesus. That's how I know that I'm saved. Do you really want to stand before God in eternity and hold that up before him. Or do you want to be able to stand there and say, I know I'm saved because you gave me your spirit. I know I'm yours because you made me yours. Not because I said something one time. Not because I listened to K-Love. Not because I go to Mardell in my free time. But I know that I'm yours because you have made me yours by giving me of your Spirit. If your assurance of salvation is dependent upon you and your decisions and your commitments, we've already seen how frail those can be. Aren't you glad that Scripture offers us something so much more solid than that? Scripture actually offers us assurance that means that you can be sure of something. And how can you be sure is if he has given you his spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.22 And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, listen to this, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His Glory. He gives you the Holy Spirit who regenerates you, causes you to be born again, means He makes you a Christian, but He doesn't stop there. The giving of His Holy Spirit to the individual believer is a guarantee that not only did you once get saved, but that you will remain saved and that you will be saved on the final day of salvation or the final day of judgment. Do you see that? It's not just a one-time thing. The evidence of, of genuine salvation in a person is not that they said something one time. It's not that they did something one time. It's, a, it's continuing to happen in them. It's not that you just repented one time of your sins it's that you continue to repent of your sins. It's not just that you trusted the Lord one time, but it's that you continue to trust in the Lord. It is an ongoing work in your heart that causes you to be saved. that is your assurance of salvation. It is your assurance that God Loves you is that he has given you of his own spirit. In John chapter 17, I believe it's verse 3, Jesus' high priestly prayer, he says, This is eternal life that they know you. He's praying to the Father. He's saying, This is eternal life that they would know you. Do you understand what that means? The implications of that. Salvation is not just a ticket to heaven. Salvation is knowing God. It is coming to know the Father through the perfect work of Jesus Christ. That is eternal life. You see, we're down here piddling around with free t-shirts and, and these silly things. When, when What is offered and presented before us is an intimate, personal knowing of the triune, everlasting, almighty God. That is what's at stake here. And when He gives us of His Spirit, it is that we would know Him. That is the greatest gift that God can give you. It's not things. It's not stuff. Let's not be tempted to look around our home and think that that is the measure of God's love towards us. Whether good or bad, maybe you have a big beautiful home. Don't look at that and say, look at how much God loves me. Maybe you have a a small home that you despise. You have roaches and rats. Don't look at that and say, man, God doesn't love me as much as he loves that person. Don't look at your vehicle and say that this is a measure of God's love towards me, is that I drive this old beat-up hoopty? God must not love me that much. Look at that much nicer car that my friend has. God must love them more. I need to be a better person so that God will love me more, so that He will give me better stuff. My Friends, if if stuff is the evidence of God's love towards a person, he hated the apostles. He hated Paul. Paul talks about being shipwrecked. And hungry. And beaten. He must have despised Paul. If that is the measure of God's love towards us. Is stuff and things. It's not. There will be plenty of people. Who perish in their sins. Who have an overabundance of stuff. You know what is a measure of God's love towards you? Is that he gives you. God. It's that He gives you what things are trying... You're trying to satisfy yourself with things and stuff and people and relationships and all of these things of the world. You're trying to fill this giant chasm that exists in your heart with more TV, a, a better job... A a, a closer-knit family. All of these things are fine, aren't they? But none of them satisfy your soul. Every last one of those things leaves you longing for more. Why? Because only God can satisfy the soul of a person. And He displays His love for you by doing just that. By giving you Of Himself. This is the beautiful picture of marriage, isn't it? When you make the covenant together, you say, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. What are you saying? Even if our life falls apart, or we succeed in such a grand way that we would never see coming, no matter what, I am yours, and you are mine. My friends, that is a picture of salvation, of the gospel that Christ says to his bride, I am yours, and you are mine. You might be called to suffer your whole life, you might be called to be poor and to work at a, as a cashier at a gas station your whole life, barely make rent, get your power cut off often. But if you have Christ, you have everything. You have God's love. What more could you ask for? So go work that job. Go, go sit in the dark when the power gets cut off. Go turn candles on. Enjoy it. You know why? Because they could take a lot of things away from you. But if you have the Spirit of God, that is not negotiable. They can't take that from the believer. And I love that. It is evidence of God's love towards us. Because it doesn't depend on you, but on God. God forgives. God grants mercy. God lavishes grace. God regenerates. God saves. God transforms. God keeps. By this, we know that we are His because God's Spirit dwells within us. Secondly, the good confession we make. Verses 14 and 15. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Once again, John shows us that the assurance of salvation is not necessarily in anything that we do or have done. It is instead that we believe in what God has done. It's not that we say, here is what I have done, but it's that we make the good confession of, here is what Christ has done. And here is the implications in my life, is that I am now His forevermore, because He gave Himself up for me. This is the good confession made by us. Horatius Bonar said, we are not saved by believing in our own salvation, nor by believing in anything whatsoever about ourselves. We are saved by what we believe about the Son of God and His righteousness. The gospel believed saves, not the believing in our own faith. Boy, we have that mixed up today. We put a lot of faith in, in our faith. I just got to have more faith. Then I'll get my prayers answered. Then I'll get the better this. I'll get the better that. But it's our faith in God. Remember he said. Though your faith be as small as a. What? A mustard seed. It is puny and pathetic to look at. But if your faith be small, but it's in Christ that is immovable. Why? Because Christ is immovable. You might just have a little bit of faith, but if your faith is in Christ, in what He has done, in who He is, not in yourself, I am so convinced that evidence of a a Christian who is maturing and growing closer and closer to God, and growing in holiness, is that they begin to see how unholy they are. Greater and greater levels of realization of just how unholy I am. Why? Because the closer we get to God, the more we see how perfect He is. And the more we see how drastically imperfect we are how pitifully imperfect we are. So it's not that we're self-loathing and we say, oh, I'm just this pathetic old man. I can't get anything right. But it's that we say, God, thank you for showing me mercy because I can't get anything right. God, all I do is fail. All I do is sin. How can your grace and mercy be this great? Then he reminds you of the cross where he bore your sin, he said, I knew what you would be. I loved you at your worst. You could never be good enough. You could never earn my love. Christ gave of himself, willingly, not provoked by you, not spurred on by something you did, not because he saw that eventually you were going to love him. He gave himself because of, God is love. That's why. If you're in Christ today, why are you saved? Because God is love. Because He loves you. And there's nothing you can do about it. I love that. We can't earn His grace. John 14. That was a rabbit trail. John 14 16 and 17. I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him. For He dwells with you and will be in you. Christians know the truth about Christ. They pursue The truth about Christ, they cherish the truth about Christ, not because of their own will and volition, not because they're such good people, but because this happens. Because Jesus sent us the spirit of truth. Do you see that? If you are led into sound doctrine, into good theology, into the truth, about Jesus, it's not because you're smarter than the average bear. It's because the Spirit of Truth is leading you. It's because the Holy Spirit, the Helper, is like, no, 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 no. Not over there. Over here. Not like that. Like this. It is like your spiritual trainer, your spiritual coach. And He teaches you how to know and love and cherish the truth about Jesus. Not what Jesus can get you. Not what Jesus will, will make you look like in front of other people. But just the truth about who He is. John sixteen twelve through 15 I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has, has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. John fifteen twenty six. When the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Do you see? That's why John says this in verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Why? Because you can't make that good confession in a way that it will save you, in a way that is everlasting in an eternal sense without the Spirit of truth in you leading you to that truth. Are you following me? It is the Holy Spirit within you that leads you to the truth every time. He won't mislead you. He will lead you to the truth every single time. This is another assurance of God's love towards you is that He gave you His Spirit And that Spirit is now working in you to lead you to the truth deeper and deeper and deeper. Maybe it's slow. Maybe you'll never be able to um, articulate what superlapsarianism is. Maybe you'll never know the Greek about a word in the Bible. But if you have the Holy Spirit within you, He will lead you into the truth. He will lead you into the truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Therefore, the flip side is true. If you stay in false teaching, believing lies, and you're never convicted and you're never convinced of anything else, that would be evidence that the spirit of truth is not in you because he leads you out of that might take time might not be immediate but eventually you will be led into this word and you will start to compare what you're hearing versus what you're reading and you will say these two things are not lining up i know the spirit within me is telling me the truth because he is the spirit of truth and this will give you assurance of salvation lastly and most importantly verse 16 the love God has for us. I love this verse. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. We have come to know and believe the love that God has for us, once again, not the love you have for God, not anything in you, but that you are convinced of God's love towards you. I know that this is so simple, especially for those of you who have been in church for a long time. Yeah, I know God's love. God loves me. Great. And we treat it that way. It's so nonchalant. But do we realize what that means? That the eternal God, the holy, righteous God who created heaven and earth, who burns with righteous indignation against sinful people, of which you are, if not for being clothed in the righteousness of Christ, you would abide under that wrath. and You would know nothing of God's love. But because of His work on the cross for you, you can now, instead of abiding under His wrath, abide under His love. If you could measure how much love God has for His children as it rests... Upon them, you would be utterly crushed and destroyed under the weight. God's love for his children is covenantal, it means he's not going to take it back. That is the hardest thing in the world to grasp. How many times. Have you made promises to God that I'm going to get this right. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to do I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to start reading more. I'm going to start praying more. I'm going to start giving more. I'm going to start doing this more. I'm going to start doing this more. And all the along what I'm doing is I'm trying to appease my conscience because I think that God's going to be mad at me and he's going to take his love away from me. But what the scripture is showing us is that we can come to know That even then, at that moment, God loves you. That is mind-blowing. That is earth-shattering. That is life-transforming. And my friends, if that doesn't transform your life, maybe you haven't tasted His love yet. And I don't say that to condemn you. I say that to plead with you, to come to the cross, to repent of your sins, to trust on Jesus. Give up. Give up on yourself by trusting in Jesus. Trust in Him. Believe in Him. Call upon Him as Lord and today you will be saved. Not eventually, not one day. Today, right now, you will be saved. And you will come to know this love for us that God has. Romans 5.5 Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you see how these things are all interconnected? Interconnected. His Spirit is given to us, verse 13. Verse 16, this is how we know and believe it. It's because of His Spirit. His Spirit is given to us, and it cries out from within us, Abba, Father. This is how we know God's love towards us. It's not that we go to church. It's not that we do good things. Because the moment that you do a bad thing, guilt. Guilt condemnation, shame, fear. And we're right to feel those things. But the difference is that the child of God runs back to Christ. The child of God runs back to the Father and says, forgive me again. Please, forgive me again. And Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, says, Father, forgive them. I paid for their sins. And it is the Father's good pleasure. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. It is His good pleasure to say, You are forgiven. You are my child. I love you. And that is impossible for our pea-sized brains to wrap our minds around. Because we are so prone to do our best impression of the Pharisees. Every last one of us in here. We are so prone to earning our salvation. I want God to see that I can be good enough for Him. God is saying, you can't though. But my son was. Trust in Him. And I will count it to you as righteousness. That's love, folks. That's love at a whole other level, in a whole other stratosphere. R.C. Sproul said, it is one thing to believe in God. It is another thing to believe God. In other words, it is another thing to believe this in your personal life in such a way that it changes how you act. That it changes how you respond to your own sinfulness, to your own mistakes, to your own failings. Believe Him today. That's the profound message of this morning. Is believe Him. When He said He loves you, by showing, showing His love for you, by giving you His Son, by pouring His Spirit in your heart, so that you are led into the truth, that you may be convinced of his love. Believe it. Don't doubt anymore. We're going to partake of the Lord's table this morning. And then we're going to sing a song. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for sending your Son, for giving us your Spirit for leading us into all truth, for empowering us to make the good confession about the person and work of Jesus. And we thank you that you love us. We pray for all of this in your holy name. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy to you all.